Well, my name's Ian. I'm one of the uh, leaders here in the church, and it's my privilege to uh, open God's Word uh, with you today. Uh, you, you will have heard of the abbreviation BFF, Best Friends Forever. Uh, when I say that, who do you think of? Who, who do you think of as uh, BFF? Uh, perhaps it's your, one of your best mates, uh, maybe your spouse, maybe one of your parents, or uh, uh, perhaps a sibling. Uh, but perhaps you don't think of your life, perhaps you think of other folks in culture, perhaps you think of uh, Woody and Buzz, maybe Ant and Deck. Uh, if you're American, maybe John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, maybe Oprah and Gail King. A guy, some guys called Beaumont and Fletcher wrote that no friend's a friend till he shall prove a friend. The Beatles wrote that I get by with little help from my friends, although we're not sure they were quite writing about friends, but that's another story. Uh, some of you are familiar, perhaps, with the song Two Little Boys. Uh, Rolf Harris made it famous. It's actually a much older song than that, uh, where uh, two children are playing together, and one of them, his toy horse, breaks, and the other one says, get on the back, there's room for the two of us. And then years later, in an actual battlefield, the same, these two kids have now grown up as men, and the other one, his horse gets shot out from under him, and his friend uses the same words to say, get on the back, there's, there's room on my horse for two. I won't sing it for you. Uh, basically, it's a load of sentimental tosh, but you get the point, you know, I mean, it's okay, you know. Um, and maybe that's how I was thinking about the characters in today's story, David and Jonathan, two young lads helping each other out in adversity. There's actually a lot more in the passage than that, as we'll see as we dig into it. So let me pray for us, and we'll get in there. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, that it is a lamp to our feet, Lord, that you have so much instruction in it for us. Will you today clearly show us what you have for us and change our hearts and our lives because of it? Amen. Uh, well, we are uh, continuing our series in the book of First Samuel. You want to have that open in front of you because we are going to be there in chapters 18 and 19 and 20 and sort of flicking about a bit between them. So get your, get your fingers sort of well ready for a bit of moving backwards and forwards. Uh, and we are continuing this series looking at King David and how uh, his character developed from being a young man until he became the king of Israel. He lived about 3,000 years ago, and he's regarded by many as Israel's greatest king. More importantly, I think he was described as a man after God's own heart, which is high praise indeed. Uh, and so we're thinking about how, how did his character develop, how did this shepherd boy become a king? You know, it's almost like this training program that he went through. I'm sure he didn't think of it in those terms. It was just life happening. But this training program, what did it involve? I mean, it nearly killed him on several occasions. I mean, this is, this is pretty harsh stuff. And uh, we can certainly see that in this part of the training program, if I can call it that, that we're looking at today. His life is at risk. Uh, but in this section, David meets King Saul's son, who's called Jonathan, and so we're going to look today at the friendship that existed between these two men. And so we're going to hang our thoughts really on three, 
three things today. You can see them there in your program. Always handy to take some notes. You'll find that useful. First of all, the promise that David and Jonathan made to each other. Secondly, the price that Jonathan paid to fulfill that promise. And thirdly, the persecution that John, Jonathan experienced for that promise. The promise that David and Jonathan made, the price that Jonathan paid to fulfill the promise, and the persecution Jonathan experienced. And I hope that what really we come to see through this is how God works in our lives through our friends. God works in our lives through our friends. Well, first of all, let me introduce this guy, Jonathan, to you. Uh, we've heard quite a bit about David, but what about this other character who's just come into the story? Um, and how come he ends up being David's best buddy? In some way, Jonathan and David are very, very similar. They're both uh, very successful military leaders. They're both greatly uh, liked by their general Jewish-Israeli population. They both see, they're both seen as heroes, and they certainly uh, both love God and have faith in him as their sovereign Lord. Uh, but then in some ways, they're a real contrast. It's clear from the timing of other things that are happening in the Bible that, that Jonathan is about 30 years older than David. Although we often think of them as a similar age, that's not true. One is, one is 30 years older. Uh, Jonathan was the son of a king. David was the son of a shepherd. But then David becomes the king of Israel, and Jonathan never does. David faced off against Goliath. Jonathan was presumably there, but he didn't stand up and fight Goliath. But in some ways, they are quite different. Fair enough. Well, where does this uh, friendship begin? You can see there in the, in the first passage, Royal but read for us there, beginning of chapter 18. Uh, David has uh, just, it says there, David has finished talking with Saul. He's actually still standing there, as far as we can tell, holding Goliath's head possibly like that, maybe like that. Uh, and Saul's son Jonathan is there, and it says that as soon as David stops speaking, they become one in spirit. That seems pretty radical. What, what, what was it that, that made this sort of happen so, so suddenly? Sure, he's popular. David's a popular guy. He's just killed Goliath in single combat, which is obviously a big deal. The passage tells us why. It says why is there. Look at in verse 3. Because he loved him as himself. Because Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. The, the word there, as it was originally written in the original language, uh, if I can pronounce this correctly, would be Habawa. Um, you can check that on me later. Um, but that's a word used in the Old Testament for uh, love between friends or love between God and his creation. That's important because some writers have suggested that there's a, a sexual relationship here between uh, Jonathan and David. That is not the case. That is not the word that is, that is used here. Um, and yet in our culture, perhaps we struggle with that idea of, of close friends between two guys or between two, two ladies. Um, 
But that hasn't always been the case. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book about love, he said, to the ancients, friendships seemed to be the happiest and the most fully human of all loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. I think that's true, perhaps because we're just not uh, used to thinking of uh, relationships in that way, perhaps because our Western culture prizes individuality so much. Uh, for whatever it is, we, we sometimes see things through a, a different filter in that way. Uh, but that's how Jonathan feels about David. We know David uh, returns that. You don't have to turn there, but in the beginning of the book of 2 Samuel, when David learns of Jonathan's death, it is clear that he loved him very much indeed. So this is no regular friendship. This is no uh, casual acquaintance. This is a friendship uh, founded on a deep brotherly love, founded on God's love for these two men. We were singing about God's love a moment ago. And because of this love, this is where we get to our, our first point really, because of this love, David and Jonathan made a covenant, a promise to each other. You can see that there again in verse 3 of chapter 18. A covenant is a, is a, a very specific kind of promise. Uh, and some of you may know this. Uh, the first person promises to do something and the second person promises to do something else. But this is not like a legal contract or something like that because it, what one person does does not rely on the other. Person A will do what they have promised to do regardless of what person B does. Person B will do what they have done, regard, promised to do regardless of what person A has promised. Um, some of you will know that's what couples commit to in marriage. Some of you will know that's what God has promised to do on a number of occasions. It actually, he makes a covenant with David later on in David's life, promising that one of David's descendants will become the Messiah and that this kingdom will endure forever. But we find out a couple of other things about the, this covenant as we go through uh, this, this section of the of 1 Samuel, if you turn over a page to chapter 20, verse 8, we can see there that it's Jonathan who initiates the covenant, this older, more experienced military leader. And also that it's before the Lord. God is a witness to this covenant. It was intended that he would hold Jonathan and David accountable for the fulfillment of it. In fact, like marriage, fulfillment is only going to be possible with God. Without that foundation, it's just going to be another earthly relationship between a couple of guys. Just a regular friendship. No, there is a spiritual dimension to this friendship, which is so important. And we can see later on, you don't have to turn there, but later on, over in chapter 23, um, we can see perhaps some of the structure in the covenant. Jonathan says, uh, don't be afraid. My father Saul is not going to lay a hand on you, David. Uh, you will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. So part of this covenant has been, yeah, okay, David, you're going to be the king, but I'll be your right-hand man. And that isn't actually how it turned out. Uh, 
In verse uh, 16 there, Jonathan says that the Lord is going to hold the enemies of David to account. That is staggering because Jonathan knows that includes his own dad. And yet that is, that is, that is clearly there. These are all nice sounding words. Was that all it was? Were these, were these two guys just, oh yeah, you're my best mate, you're my best mate, I've always liked you, I've always liked you, you're great. No, there's, there's some very practical stuff going on here. Uh, when uh, King Saul dies, and his sons die as well, actually, uh, Instead of trying to wipe out all of King Saul's family, which would be kind of a pretty normal practice for someone who was inheriting, a, uh, who was becoming a king uh, in, at that time, David actually looks after Jonathan's son. He gives him a seat at the royal table, fulfilling what he had promised to Jonathan. And how about Jonathan? Uh, one speaker suggests three ways in which Jonathan very practically is a best mate to David. Uh, first of all, he warns David of danger. You can see there, that there in chapter 19, verse 2. He comes and warns David, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Uh, over into chapter 20, where he does the bits with the arrows and shooting the arrows. We'll hear about that in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, remember, Jonathan was a very skilled archer. I just called Rich's eye when I saw that, Rich the archer, skilled archer. And uh, also in, over in chapter 23, verse 16, Jonathan tells David of danger that his dad is out to kill him. And that's easy to do, you know, I think when someone's at risk of death, we do that all the time, be careful as you cross the road, don't play your electric guitar in the bath, whatever it may be. And, and yet, we're more reluctant to warn our friends about some other things perhaps about their sin, which will lead them to death. So Jonathan warned David. Uh, secondly, Jonathan speaks well of David. Uh, in this case, even when his own father, the king, is disrespecting David and planning to kill him, look in chapter 19 there, verse 4. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine, that is Goliath. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel when you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? How do we speak? about our friends to other people? Do we stick up for them? Thirdly, the speaker suggests that Jonathan, Jonathan speaks well of David to David. He encourages David to stick in there. He says, yes, you're going to be the king of Israel. Don't worry, buddy. God has got you. Saul will not be able to kill you. He speaks truth into David's life. He encourages David. The New Testament tells us that encouragement is a spiritual gift and certainly looks like Jonathan had that gift or at least as it related to David. Folks, this is part of what Christian friendship is about. 
what church membership is about. We make a commitment before the Lord with him as witness. In fact, that commitment is based on the Lord, our our common love for Jesus, that love again we were singing about, the fact that he has saved us, that is the basis of that love. And we make that commitment out of love, out of love for Jesus, out of love for each other, and we cannot fulfill that without him. This is not simple friendship. This is a relationship between two Christian brothers or sisters based on the love that Christ has for them, that they have been both loved and saved by Jesus. And those relationships are there for, for in our successes and the good times, praise God, but also in the bad times, in the times of trouble and despair. Since the death and resurrection of Jesus, the principal way in which God helps his people, that is the church, in a time of crisis is through other people in the church. Sure, in in practical ways and very straightforward ways, but Jonathan shows us there are three ways in which we support each other. We warn each other, like Jonathan warned David. Sure, about normal things, oh, the bus has changed its route, don't buy that Xbox, it's rubbish. But in this kind of Jesus-based relationship, we also warn each other about the things we are doing which are displeasing to God, about a lack of love for our brothers and sisters, about a lack of love for God about pride or lust or greed or a lack of respect for authority, lying, whatever it is, we warn each other. And we can do that because we give each other permission to do that without fear because we both love Jesus. And he loves us and wants the best for us because we can be friends like Jonathan and David were. Ezekiel chapter 3, God says to Ezekiel, but if you do warn the righteous person not to sin and they do not sin, they will surely live because they took warning and you have saved yourself. But also in this kind of relationship, Christian brothers and speakers, Christian brothers and sisters will speak well of each other, not in a false way, not in a, not in a flattering way, not in a way that's not true, but we stand up for each other in our conversations, as Jonathan did for David. Saul is making false accusations here and about David, and Jonathan says, uh-uh, that ain't so. You don't have the whole story. You don't know everything that's going on here. I think this is especially important. In an age when some people are, are looking to deliberately malign Christians, either individually or as a group, is the only time we say good things about Christians at their funeral. Give people flowers when they're alive, not when they're dead. Say good things about people if that's true. But we also speak well of each other to each other like David did to Jonathan. Again, not giving them false flattery, but encouraging each other, telling each other what we appreciate about them. We thank God for them. We, th- we thank God for what their spiritual gifts might be, encouraging them to do more of the things we see in their lives that are pleasing to God, thanking them for their service, building them up when they are down, connecting them in with new members, connecting them in with long-standing members, sharing a verse from the Bible to encourage them. 
And I am challenged personally that I do not do that nearly enough for you. That I am not that kind of friend personally for you like I should be. Please forgive me. Because when suffering comes, those who have covenanted together as church members, as brothers and sisters in Christ, need to be there for each other, like Jonathan and David. When successes come, as as we've covenanted together as church members and brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be there for each other. When life is happening, those of us who've covenanted together as church members, as brothers and sisters in Christ, need to be there for each other, like Jonathan did for David. That's why we think being in life groups is important. That's why we think meeting up with each other's members, meeting up with each other as members in the church during the week is important. Dropping each other a quick text, a quick email. Our Christian lives are not lived out on our own. We live in a community of other Davids and Jonathan. How might this kind of deep friendship, this commitment to each other, have impacted David's own character development? I know my friends have certainly impacted on me. My Christian brothers and sisters have encouraged me, prayed for me, opened the Bible with me, yes, warned me. This is part of the way that God has developed my my Christian character. And it looks like that is the way in which Jonathan impacted on, on David. Well, secondly, let's look at the price Jonathan paid. This promise, this covenant between David and Jonathan was not an easy thing, especially for Jonathan. He paid a price to be faithful to it. He paid a high price to be faithful to it. Jonathan's a hero. Jonathan is is a military hero. He's defeated the Philistines himself. Before David came on the scene, he was successful. He was destined to be Israel's next king. He was next in line to the throne. Flick over the page there again to chapter 20. Saul spells it out to Jonathan very clearly. Chapter 20, verse 31. He says, as long as the son of Jesse, that is David, Jesse was David's dad, as long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. At this point, the prophet Samuel has already told Saul that another ruler has been appointed over Israel. So Saul knows time is short here, his rule is going to end. And you can see how things are going there. It looks like David's going to be the guy. He's the most likely candidate right now. Jonathan's no fool. In chapter 18 there, um, as, as Rob was reading, David gives, um, Jonathan gives David his, his robe and his tunic, his sword and his belt. That, that is Jonathan acknowledging to David, you're going to be king. You're the man. You are going to be the king. He's only just met him. And it's clear from how David is that he is going to be the king that Samuel's talking about. And Jonathan gives it up. Jonathan gives up being king of his own accord. He chooses to give it all up. I cannot think of another person in the Old Testament 
who stood aside voluntarily for God's chosen person, who gave up so much voluntarily, selflessly, so that the, the man of God could get on and do what he needed to do. Most of the folks in the Old Testament, if they're standing in the way of God's chosen one, they shake their fists at him, they get all angry, and terrible things happen to them. That's a technical expression. Now, not only did he give up the right to his throne, but he knew he was putting himself in a really compromised position. He's putting himself between David, the future king who he loves, and the current King Saul, who is his father, who he presumably also loves. He's basically going to have to be a spy on his father. He's going to be a spy in the court of Saul. He felt he had to lie to his father Saul. You can, you'll, you'll see that there in the passage. And however admirable Jonathan was, please don't think God was pleased with that. Remember, God isn't always happy with everything everyone does in the Bible, but it's recording what happens. Jonathan thinks he's fooled his dad. John, David knows different. Uh, we heard that in, in uh, chapter 20, verse 2. Let me just read that again. Uh, Jonathan replied, you're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without letting me know. Why should he hide this from me? It isn't so. David's brighter than that. He said, David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favour in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. So David, can under, David knows that Jonathan's position here is very much maybe compromised. Uh, compare that situation to the one David was in with Goliath. David is in the situation with Goliath. The ethics are easy. Big bad guy, uh, he's mocking the people of God and he's mocking the Lord God Almighty. Kill him. Easy. Jonathan is going to be lying to uh, a man who had been anointed as God's king. He, 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 that had been withdrawn, but he was still the king of Israel. It's his father. He's misleading him to guard and protect his friend. I, I was reminded of Perhaps the, the super brave French citizens in the Second World War who, who would uh, go in, back into France, perhaps haven't been in the UK for a while, working for the Allies in the French resistance. If they are caught, if they are discovered, they are going to be tortured and put to death. And they are perhaps having to uh, lie to friends, mislead friends, spying on, on what was happening around there to, for the Allies. So for Jonathan, this price of this promise, of keeping this promise, was very high. And yet Jonathan knew it was worth it. The cost of following the will of God, that is that David was going to be the king of Israel, was worth it. The cost of following the man who's been anointed by God was worth the high price. And it still is. Jesus is the anointed one of God. Some of you know, actually, that the title Christ means that, that Jesus, the Son of God, was chosen from before the beginning of time. 
He was anointed by God the Father as the only way through which we can be saved. And like Jonathan, following David, following Jesus, comes at a high price. All of the ways in our life that are self-centred, all the things we do which displease God, we have to turn our back on them. The Bible says we put them to death. And we like some of those things. Some of those things are, are our favourite little p- pastimes. We say things like, they define who I am. Yeah, you're right about that. They define who, who we are. They define us as being enemies of God. When our trust is placed in Jesus, he demands that we join with him to fight against those things in our lives, to replace them with things that are pleasing to God. Now that is a high price. Nobody denies it. But like Jonathan's, it is totally worth it. For God to say to us, you are okay by me. For God to say to us, you have been reconciled to myself. I am no longer angry with you. To be saved so that we can spend an eternity with him. To be adopted as his children, to receive the Holy Spirit, to be given access to his word, to be treated with unmerited favour, to be saved, that is worth it over and over and over again, beyond any price that we can imagine that is worth it. Because David's love for Jonathan, Jonathan's love for David lasted a lifetime, their lifetime. That is not like God's love for us. God's love for us has lasted for eternity. It says this in the book of Ephesians. He, that's God, predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. Or from Romans chapter 5, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or from Hebrews chapter 13, never, how long is never? Never, it will never happen, will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We sometimes sing a song here, some of you will know it, it starts, loved before the dawn of time. From eternity, chosen by my maker, hidden in my saviour. I am his, he is mine, cherished for eternity, for all time. God's love for us will not die, nor ours for his. If you have not already trusted in Jesus to save you, then remember, the cost is worth it. Like, follow Jonathan's example. Follow God's anointed one and experience that love that will last forever. Well, we should move on. Uh, Having been committed to David, Jonathan then, our third point, is persecuted. We cannot look at his friendship between David and Jonathan without being conscious of Saul there. He's very much on all the pages as you're going through. And um, 
and Rob gave us a great example uh, and, and really great illustration of the comparison between Saul and David uh, last week. Because as any king, as any father, Saul is expecting Jonathan to support him. That he will basically back Saul up. Certainly that he's not going to be working actively against him. That he's not going to, that Jonathan will not undermine his own succession to the throne. That's treason. And yet, we're already there, yet Saul sees him embrace David. David, who Saul Saul sees as his greatest internal threat. Jonathan embraces him as a brother. Saul sees Jonathan siding with David instead of with himself. Any sensible ruler is going to see that as a threat to the throne, aren't they? As we read through history, we see that kind of thing happen all the time. Paranoia for a ruler at that time is not a, a bad thing. It's a survival instinct. It's a survival mechanism. It's how you, how you get to stay on the throne. Even in David's own life, uh, later on, his own son, Absalom, rebels against him. So this is not some kind of remote possibility. This happens a lot. And so Saul's anger flares up at Jonathan. You can see that again if, if you're there, chapter 20. Verse 30, Saul saying, he's no longer my soul. He's the son of a perverse and a rebellious woman. Bad thing, presumably. And Saul says, correctly, you have sided with David. Jonathan doesn't deny it. He, he call, and he calls Saul for his unjust pronouncement of death for David. And Saul throws his spear at him, at his own son. He tries to pin him to the wall with his spear. So Jonathan knows exactly what's going on at that time. And so he goes and he sends the message to warn David, to say, hey, my father's out to kill you. How terrifying does that have to be where the the king, who's also your father, is trying to not only insult you, but actually kill you with a spear? Might not Jonathan have been just a little bit tempted to tone it down a little bit, you know? Well, you know, Jonathan, he's okay, you know, but dad, you're still dad, you're still the, you're still the king, you're still the father, you know, just tone it down? Apparently not. Apparently not. Jonathan was steadfast under the pressure of this persecution. He was prepared to pay his life for it. If Saul's aim had been a bit better, Jonathan would be dead. He would have paid his life for that promise to David. Jesus said, John chapter 15, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jonathan is a picture of that. He is steadfast in his love for David. He's steadfast even until his death. In a battle, we read that in chapter 23. But even after Jonathan's death, David is still fulfilling his part of the promise. As we were saying, he looked after Jonathan's son. And that's the last time John is mentioned at that beginning of chapter uh, 2 Samuel. David and his descendants carry on. They become kings. We know that. They're, that's a great theme now through the whole Bible. Uh, the house of David. Uh, Jesus is a descendant of David. Jonathan is never mentioned again. 
Was David shaped by Jonathan, this older mentor, this, uh, this heroic military leader? I think it would be unfeasible for David not to have reflected on the lessons Jonathan learnt with him. The, 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 to reflect on the great friendship and love these two men had for each other. That must have been something that David thought about as he was king for many years afterwards. Look back, look, look there in, in chapter 20, verse 41. These two hardened military leaders, these two heroes who have faced many dangers, weep together. They weep at Saul's rejection of David. They weep at the need to go their separate ways. Surely Jonathan was on the mind of David very often. Surely he was reflecting on the things that David had taught him, for, uh, the things Jonathan taught him for, for many years. Some of you may be thinking of similar relationships with Christians, brothers or sisters who've been influential in your life, of similar friendships, or maybe of similar partings from well-loved friends. Uh, some of those might have been with someone who was very much the same as you. Some of them might have been friendships with people very different to you, perhaps older, perhaps younger, perhaps different ethnicities, perhaps just like you. I don't know. I hope and I trust that some of you have experienced those kind of relationships. Praise God. But realistically, some of you may not have experienced such a deep Christian friendship. And I could understand if, if then you might be thinking to yourself, as I was, um, who are the Jonathans in my life? Where are the Jonathans in my life? Nobody has loved me in that God-honouring way. People have loved me in that way, but I was thinking about who my Christian friends were. Uh, but maybe you're saying to yourself, nobody has loved me in that way. I think that's a very natural question, but I want to perhaps quote, uh, get you to think about a different question instead. And I think this question is far, far more important and relevant. The question is, who have we been a friend like Jonathan to? Who have we been like a friend, been a friend like Jonathan to? Who have we selflessly laid aside our rights and privileges for? Who have we faced opposition with? Who have maybe even we've been persecuted for loving in that way, for loving as a brother or a sister without condition? Have we helped to develop somebody's character in that way? If the answer is we never have, or the answer is we have but we're not currently doing that in the moment, I want to challenge you. Take a moment and think about who you might be a Jonathan to. Who might you be willing to love and invest in in that way? We're going to take a moment. We're at the end of the message now. I'm just going to take a moment. Just think about that for a moment. Perhaps write a name down. Perhaps write two names down. No more than two. Just think about that for a moment. And then I'll pray and close this up. Let's pray.